Tonight, let's do our study. We're in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. I don't have any slides tonight. I didn't feel like making pictures. Just telling it to you straight. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We've been in a study on the foundations of life. If we could understand the book of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, we'll understand the dimensions of life, what it was supposed to be, and what God restored it unto and what is yet coming to us in our full redemption. And I'm excited about that. How many of you know we got a hope in a future that's pretty cool? It's going to be good. And so Jesus brought many promises to us that are filled in this word. Let's go to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And we're at a place tonight where we looked at how Moses wrote this book and how Moses was writing to Israel about the account of creation. And what we saw in that account is that he would create and separate and make distinctions from things. He kept calling something out of another. He called the water apart from the water. He called the land out of the water. He called the animals out of the land. He called the fish, the sea, the birds, and man out of the ground and apart from everything else. Separations and distinctions. And that's what sanctification is. That's what holiness is. It's a distinction. It's a calling out. The ecclesia, the ecclesia, the church, we're the called out ones. You've been called out to be separate and distinct, the creation of God, directly by His Holy Spirit. And then last week we saw how the Spirit brooded and moved over the waters, that the Spirit breathed life, and God breathed the Spirit, the Ruach, into Adam, made him a living soul, so that God makes dead things alive. And that's what He did with you and I. He made a dead thing come alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And the Holy Spirit is the breath of life coming into our hearts. So tonight what we're going to look at is the power of death. How did this thing go so wrong? How did death enter in? It's the one question that almost all atheists and and doubters ask. If God's so good, how come there's so much evil and bad? Why doesn't He change it? Here's where we see the answer. There was a fall to this creation that departed from God's ways. And from that we'll see the wreck that ensued. Now, if you'll remember, in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, there's a creation order. God made the heavens and the earth. God made the earth. God made man. God made everything in it. And He gave dominion to man. And He said, I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to have dominion. Be fruitful. Multiply. So God established man as the crowning achievement and the authority in the physical realm over all the works of His hands. Psalm 8 tells us that. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man? You put everything under his feet. Now we read that as a messianic psalm. We read that as, well, that's Messiah, that's Jesus. He put everything under Jesus' feet. But you've got to remember that David wrote that, first of all, concerning man, mankind. What is man that you are mindful of him? And that you put everything under his feet. So we have been crowned with the authority to have dominion, government, and rule over the physical realm for God. We're his ambassadors. Now that's the original intent for man. And everything was to flow through man, the priest of the garden, that was to flow back in worship to God and back unto the order of all creation. That's Genesis chapter 1. And so we see that man's to have dominion. And we can see that it was proved out that way. And we'll get into it later in Romans 8 where it tells us because of man, all of creation was put under the same death that man had. When man fell, he separated himself from God. 
And if man separated from, him, from God, everything else under man went in that same position. All of creation and all of the physical universe fell under the power of sin and separation. How did it happen? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, you can have of any fruit anything you want. There was one law, one thing he asked them not to do. Don't eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. All right? Now, I believe that God wanted to help Adam and Eve understand the distinction of good and evil through his instruction, but they chose their own instruction. Through rebellion, they tasted the fruit of good and evil. And it wasn't so much eating the thing. Was it an apple? Was it a fig? You know, who knows? Some people say, well, it was probably a fig tree because you cover yourself up with the same sin, typically, that you committed. Right? They covered themselves with fig, tree, fig leaves. So I don't know. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It wasn't the fruit anyways. It was the action of eating the fruit. Could have been a pomegranate. Could have been a pear. Could have been carrots out of the ground. Who knows? Doesn't matter. Why? What matters is that how is it they gain the knowledge of good and evil? Was it something mystical and magical in the apple? We'll say it was an apple. Was it mystical? There was something in the apple like, like Snow White. Isn't Snow White the one with the apple and she goes to sleep and all that? Okay. Was it that? It had nothing to do with the fruit. The knowledge of good and evil they discovered by rebelling against God. That was the fruit they ate. Rebellion. They chose their order instead of God's order. They chose their self-will over God's will. And how many of you have gotten into trouble over that? We're eating the fruit. We're still eating the same fruit, folks. We're still eating the same fruit. And so by choosing to bite that stinking little piece of fruit, they cast the entire universe under and subjected it to separation. If God is life and you separate from life, what do you get? Death. Death is the absence of life. And so they separated from the life of God and chose self-will instead of God's will. Their knowledge of evil instead of God's helping that God understanding what, what is rebellion. And so in that they brought death and what is called sin or rebellion from God. And so they died spiritually. And so there's a real problem with that because they were made masterfully. Man is made awesome. We are an amazing creation, aren't we? God has put mechanisms within us to become aware of our surrounding world. And, and we're a mechanism that responds to light and to touch and to sound and to taste. I mean, computers cannot even imitate. Oh, we've got people making robots and this and that, but they're still robots, right? And you still need someone to make the robot. I mean, we're, it's incredible how uniquely and finely tuned we're made. And we are mechanisms that respond to our surrounding. God gave us senses so that we can connect to everything around us and process that thinking and make a decision as to protecting ourselves and what is right and how to make things greater and better. We're apart from the animals. We have intellect. We have emotion. I mean, we're incredibly made. Well, what happens when you take something so incredibly made for, for God's incredible goodness 
and you remove God out of it. You've got an incredible mechanism left to its own devices. And that's all our problems. We're so amazing. The problem is we're so amazing at sin. (laughs) We've got so creative with it, aren't we? That's because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so, left to our own devices, we're going 100 miles an hour and we don't have our hands on the steering wheel anymore. So what happened? How did, what, what's going on? In, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, I put the verse on your outline for you. This is what took place. For all that is in the world, all right? Now, this is of the physical realm. This is how the physical realm was made. This is how we were tuned. He lists three things that identify sin. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is not from the Father, but it's from the world. It's these three things that came alive in man when he rebelled from God. The mechanisms we were made with. Again, God designed, right? But when not used for God's purposes, these things get us into trouble. So let's talk about them for a minute. Lust of the eyes. What would, well, another word for lust is desire. Desire. Right? We're not satisfied. We desire. We want. We crave. And so what would the lust of the eyes be? Let's talk about a definition. Lust of the eyes. Your neighbor's boat. Good, good, okay. All right. But it, but it also, that's covetousness, right? So coveting, coveting, coveting. But I mean, the lust of the eyes can also be a good thing. It doesn't have to be a negative thing, right? So, I mean, you know, you, you look at a menu. I usually, whatever I get on the menu is usually because there was a picture in the menu. I don't want to read. I like that one. So my, my eating is usually based on the lust of my eyes. And then I have food envy. When, when whoever I'm with, they get, and it's like, oh, man, I should have got that. You ever do that? I do that all the time. But it's okay because my wife never finishes a meal, so I always get it anyways. So this is good. But you can have lust of the eyes in a good way, right? I mean, God gave us and God made us so that we respond to what we see. And, and in our senses, so the lust of the eyes. But it does get us in trouble when we begin to say, how come I can't have that, right? So when you're watching TV and you recognize, I mean, TV's crazy for lust of the eyes, isn't it? I mean, the commercials, why do commercials work? They know this concept, right? And, and so have you ever noticed how the commercials are in tune with whatever show's on? Right, you ever watch TV during the day? It's all about medications and stuff that you need to buy. <laughs> Certain hours of the night, and then you got fancy cars and girls and bikinis and this and that, right? Then they'll show you food commercials, and then they'll show you diet machines you should buy. I want to have a body like that. You'll never get a body like that. It's a lie. Unless you're paid to get a body like that. Lust of the eyes, right? How many of you have gotten into trouble with lust of the eyes? It's a mechanism within us. Again, we were wired this way for the beauty of God. How many of you are blown away by the beauty of nature, by the, blue, the beauty of a sky, of a sunset? That's, 
That's just the beauty in your eye gate, and it touches your soul. You know, how about little kitty cats, right? How about doggies, little babies? All this is, it's not the lust of the eyes, but for some it might be a desire to hold, to have, right? It's beauty. So the eyes respond that way. Again, we were made that way, but when we're fallen, all of a sudden, it draws us into covetousness. Eve looked in Genesis 3. It says this, Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes. Why was that tree so delightful? I mean, they're in a garden. They're in the garden of Eden. You imagine the flowers, the foliage, the animals, the beauty, everything but that one tree. Oh my gosh. The little droplet dropping down the fruit with the sun glistening through it. Probably had these gorgeous, amazing flowers and vines all over. Probably smelled amazing. Isn't sin usually that way? This, I gotta have this. Gotta have it. Gotta have it. We talk ourselves into it. Lust of the eyes. Okay, what's the lust of the flesh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. Desire to please the body. If it feels good, do it. That's the lust of the, right? That's the lust of the flesh, your body. Now that includes your psyche and your mind. If, if it sounds good, I want to listen. So, we, so there's different things. Even our gender differences have us drawn to different things. Men are all about the lust of the eyes. Man, they're just wired into their eyes. They love to see images and this and that, Right? Eargate, women love to hear secrets. They like information. Really? Tell me about it. We all have our ways that it feeds into our soul, right? Now again, God made us this way. So that, here's an interesting concept. If it hurts you, you would stay away from it. If it feels good, you would use it and develop it. But in a fallen person, what happens with that? We overdo it, don't we? How many of us overstimulate? How many of you know that Americans are so overstimulated, it's ridiculous? Our ears and our eyes are absolutely overstimulated. We're overworked, we're overtired, and we are overstimulated emotionally, intellectually. We get news 24-7. I'm speaking to an older crowd. You guys up there? There used to only be three channels on the TV. And if you were lucky, you had this funky antenna that got UHF. What's that? Well, I was going to go there, but you weren't supposed to watch TV from Canada because they had risque stuff. So. Um, well, it's true. When I was a kid, I'd stay up waiting for the squiggly lines to catch something. I'd wait for hours. One little thing. And all the guys are laughing because they did it too. <laughs> We're oversaturated, overstimulated. People don't even know how to talk to each other anymore. If there's a, a pause in conversation, we do, we've got to look at our phone or something to do something. It's ridiculous. We're on overdrive. And we're killing ourselves. 
because we are mechanisms made by the glory of God, but gone awry. And then last of all is the pride of life. What's the pride of life, do you think? <laughs> Everybody wants to be special. You know, we all want to, to be accepted, right? We want to be loved, but we want to be special. So everybody's got their own soundtrack, movie soundtrack, right? Everybody has their own music. You see people walking around because, because they can't, life is too boring, so they have their own soundtrack to life. They're their own video, they're their own movie. Everybody's a star now. You can just, you know, Instagram anything. So we all want the pride of life. But what do we do when we're fallen? We're all broken. And so this stuff works against us, and that's what happened in the garden. The devil knew exactly how we were wired, and he went against, he played against that wiring to get us to be independent of God. And when you take this person independent of God, now I'm the one in control of this body, and I don't know how to control it. None of us know how to control it because we can't control our appetites. You cannot satisfy the flesh ever because it always wants more. And so this is our problem. Let's take a look at the temptation. Genesis 3.6 So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh. i got to have me some of that. And I'll prove it to you. Someone gave me a bag of chocolate chip cookies at 6.55, right before the service. Yeah, I brought them out here, and there was all these guys in the back, and I opened it up. That looks good. Wow, it is good. Boom, gone. None of us needed it either. But it was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes, so that the tree was to be desired to make one wise there's the pride of life so that i could be as wise and then she fell for it as wise as god oh you'll be wise he he told the truth you'd be wise you'll know what evil is they didn't understand the consequences and so lust of the eyes lust of the flesh and the pride of life. This is what trips us up always. The devil has no new tricks. He doesn't need new tricks because we're that broken. He just keeps playing the same three numbers on us. And we fall for it every time. Because a sinner cannot do anything but sin. Until Christ comes in and gives you the power now to overcome sin. And he births his life and his spirit in you, so you now have a choice not to sin, which is impossible for someone who does not know Christ. Because they have to keep feeding those three things. But we have now power over sin. Now, there's an interesting comparison with this that happened in the garden. The first Adam failed, didn't he? The second Adam was tempted by the devil as well. But he wasn't taken to a garden, was he? Where was he driven? To the desert. And isn't it interesting that it says that as soon as he came out of the baptismal waters, when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit lit on him like a dove and came out, he's shot out of the water. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, very expressive, says he shot out of the water and the Spirit drove him into the desert. 
Imagine that after he got baptized. Could I talk to you for a minute? He's gone. Driven into the desert where he fasted and he prayed. And after 40 days, after 40 days, in a desert, the devil came to him and said, I bet you're hungry. Why don't you make this uh, rock into bread? What did he appeal to? Lust of the flesh. He's hungry. 40 days, he's hungry. Could Jesus make a rock into bread? Absolutely. And so he tempted him to do that. But that would have been rebellion against the Father. The Father didn't tell him to turn a rock into bread. Right? Remember Jesus said, I have not done anything of my own accord. Whatever I have done, whatever work I've done, I saw my Father doing. Whatever words I spoke is from my Father. So the devil says, make that rock bread. He said, my dad didn't tell me to. And he goes right to the Word of God, doesn't he? So he goes right to the Word. So Jesus is instructing us, telling us how to defeat the temptations of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We have got to turn our gaze away. We've got to get up. You're sitting in front of your computer and some things are passing by. You need to get up. You need to step away. Right? Someone's about to tell you something that you know is is not something you need to hear. You need to step away. You need to be obedient. And the Holy Spirit will remind you. He'll speak that word. But I ignore Him way too often. I'll put it on me. How about you? I mean, come on. So we've got to deal with this. He then said, all these kingdoms, he said, he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and he said, if you'll bow down, I'll make you Lord over all those things. Jesus already knew who he was. I mean, didn't Jesus just hear from God, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? How many of us walk out of this church hearing words of prophecy, hearing the Word of God telling us who we are, identifying us, or in the morning when you're praying to God and you know and you read the Word, you know who you are, and you step out the door and all of a sudden there it is. Well, if you really are a Christian, you know? Then thirdly, he told Jesus, why don't you jump off this pinnacle? The Word of God says the angels will protect you. Prove it. Do it. Jesus doesn't need to prove anything to anybody, right? So Jesus defeated the devil and his temptations because he was obedient to the Father. Adam and Eve failed in the temptations because they were not obedient. So what drives obedience? Love. Love. If you'll love me. Love and obedience are synonymous in Hebrew thinking. All right? Hear, O Israel, the Shema. Shema means to hear, and Shema also means obey. For him who has ears to Shema, let him Shema. So for him who has ears to hear, let him hear, says our English translation, but better rendered, for him who has ears to hear, let him obey. That's love. And that's how we conquer this power of death. Well, thank God. 
Jesus came to destroy the power of death, reconcile us back to the Father, so it would remove, His blood would remove our sin, so His Spirit could come dwell in us now and reconnect us to the Father in love so that we can now have power over sin. And when we're tempted, we can defeat it and say no. So there's three areas where sin shows up. First area sin shows up is between God and man. It's, it's interesting because in Acts chapter uh, 17, verse 30, Paul's preaching and he says of the times past, the ignorance God overlooked or he winked at, according to King James, whatever version you use. God in the past overlooked sin, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's a heavy verse. So who's responsible for sin on the planet? Everybody is to repent. Everybody. Why? Because Jesus died for everybody. If God put on display for all humankind and for all men to recognize that there is a Savior for all mankind, He then requires that everyone everywhere repent. That's used to be, that used to be what preaching was about, folks. It used to be what evangelism was about. Now we're just trying to get people to like Jesus. It used to be a time when we had to go out and let people know, you need to repent of your sin, because in your sin, you'll go to hell and be eternally separated from God. But that could offend someone. But that's exactly what this is calling. The gospel calls everyone to repentance. And we're failing the gospel if we're not preaching repentance from sin. But what we've decided to do was change the manual on sin and reclassify sin because sin offends people. If we call out people's sin that's offensive, they may not come back to church. So what we've done is we've packed a whole church full of people who don't care about sin. Well, what are we doing here? When a holy God commands all people everywhere to repent. That's the truth of the gospel. And so we've got to understand that. I hope everyone here understands it. That God commands us to repent from sin. And when we begin to evaluate ourselves, when you got saved, you came to a conclusion, didn't you? I'm a sinner. Now, if we're a sinner, what do we need? A Savior. This is good. And if we accept the Savior, He reconciles us to God. And cleanses us from all unrighteousness and sin. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. And it's a free gift. And so our sin is recognized before God. How many of you know that God sees all our sin? The second area where sin is identified is in our conscience. When we become aware of sin. And that's what got us saved. We became aware that we are sinners and that sin offends God. There are some areas in our lives we don't even recognize that there's sin. It hasn't come to our consciousness yet. And our conscience. How many of you have ever been zapped by God, by His Holy Spirit, when, when He points sin out? And it's like, oh, ooh, I guess you're right. Because you weren't consciously aware that was sin. The way you treated your sister last week, that was sin. 
or brother or someone on the phone or something, right? How many of you have been in the middle of a service, you're worshiping God and he just brings something to your mind. It's like, oh, yeah. And so godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. Another word is deliverance, which we're delivered from these repeating issues in us. We're saved, but how many of you know we need to continually be delivered from sin? Because he's continually cleaning us, washing us, cleansing us, and making us more into the image of Jesus, which is more obedience and love to Christ. All right? So that's what God is doing. And then the third area where sin is, is it abides in our flesh. On your outline is Romans 7, 17 to 18. Lot of, this is key for us to understand once we're saved how to contend with sin. When we're saved, we're pretty well aware that God knows what sin is. And we become more conscious of, us, of our own sin and walking carefully. But what many of us don't realize is where it abides. Where does sin live? In us. Because it's our choice. It's our flesh. Paul said this, Romans 7, 17, and 18. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. He qualifies it. There's something good in each one of us. What's that good that's in us? Spirit of God, Jesus. Right? So that's good within us. But he recognizes, he said, it's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me. What a cop-out. I didn't do it. The devil made me do it. And he's not saying the devil made him do it. He's saying, oh, look at that. It was just sin. It wasn't me. It was, it's my flesh. That's not a cop-out. It's actually genius. See, what Paul is doing is making a separation. Remember, we talked about separating and making distinct. So that you can deal with the sin. There's nothing good within me that's in my flesh. I can't trust my flesh. I'm deceived by my flesh. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? So he separates his identity in Christ from flesh life. Why does he separate? Have you ever seen boxing? Anybody see boxing? See people box, right? You ever see in a boxing match when they're boxing and, and they're kind of in trouble and, and so they kind of like hang on each other? And the one guy's going like, get off me, man, get off. Right? And he keeps holding tight. Why? You can't punch a guy who's holding you. So what's the guy do finally? <clears throat> Pushes him away. Why? Boom! So he can give him a good shot. That's what Paul's doing in this verse. He's separating himself from his flesh so that he could then be distinct from his flesh and call out its cravings and its temptations and, and fight them off so he can see his enemy. So stop blaming everybody else well, it was my mother, she didn't treat me right, and my father did this to me, and it was this issue and that issue. No, it's the power of sin living within us, in our flesh, because we're a mechanism that went haywire. So I know the lust of my eyes. So I know. I've repeated this thing well enough to know there's certain things I can't look at. 
Well, when Jesus heals you, you can look at him again. No. No. It's like telling a drug addict. You'll be delivered. Once you're delivered from crack and you overcome it, you can have it whenever you want. Yeah, that's genius. It's the same thing, right? There are certain people you need to stay away from. They're push you buttons. And so in order to keep your, <laughs> your sanctification, if you will, there's some folks you've got to stay away from. You've got to walk away from a crowd that used to keep you in a place. You need to get away from that, right? That's becoming an overcomer. And separating from flesh life because those people know the combination to your flesh, man. Beep, 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 boom, and you're in. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So there are things in our lives that we have got to overcome, and so we have to separate ourselves to overcome sin. And there's a way to do this, and it reminds us of back in the garden. So turn with me to chapter 8 of Romans. Romans 8, and I want to show you this. This is very practical teaching on sin and overcoming it, how it came into our lives. There's nothing good within me, though I was created good. Romans 8, starting at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing or expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You've got to stop there for a minute. That's a lot. That's heavy. But did you see what he said about creation? This takes us back to the garden, takes us back to the original creation. When man fell, what happened to creation? It fell. God subjected it to the same separation and death because it was under the authority of man. And it said that it pleased God to do this. God subjected it. God purposely put all of creation under the suffering of death and sin by man so that the earth would travail for man's redemption. That's pretty awesome. If you read any of the prophets of the Old Testament, you read Isaiah, you read Jeremiah, he appeals to the earth. He appeals to the trees. He appeals to heaven to be witnesses to the sin of man. It's fascinating because basically he set creation up as an intercessor for us. All of creation is groaning, travailing, and waiting for what? God to fix it? For us to get it right because that's the order of things. So God had to redeem us. They're waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God for us to come into what we should be in so it will set everything back into the order that it should be. So next time you're walking by a tree, you thank it. Thank you for praying for me. All right, I took it too far, but that's how you get a reputation. You know, well, our pastor says you pray for the trees. No. But let me read it to you again. This is amazing. For the creation was subjected to futility. 
not willingly. It didn't decide to follow. It had to follow. But because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation's freedom only comes through man's freedom from sin. Why do you think there was such an earthquake and there was an eclipse when Jesus died? Why do you think Jesus said, oh, the rocks themselves will cry out? This creation has been waiting. It has been subjected to such torment and torture as human blood has spilt into its ground and we've utterly ignored it and destroyed it. It's waiting. It's travailing. Now listen to this, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Have any, has anybody here seen a, a woman give birth? few of you. I've seen four children birthed, and there is a travailing going on. And my wife wasn't really happy with me at this time. But the travail, because the convulsions are so painful. So what's he saying creation is doing because of the painful travail? It's doing what? Groaning. As, the analogy, childbirth. What are we waiting to have birthed? Sons of God. Us. The full redemption of our bodies. The return of Christ. They're waiting. It's waiting. So doesn't it make sense that in the last days, what's going to happen? Birth pangs increase. Convulsions increase. Groaning increases. So you're going to see the heavens. You're going to see the earth. You're going to see the weather. You're going to see so much in travail. But we got it all wrong. We think all that travail and all that catastrophe and all the creation of the earth is going through all this struggle because the end is near. And that's not it. It's because the beginning is here. It's the birth of the kingdom of God coming into full manifestation. It's a glorious thing. And creation is going, yes, yes. goes on. Now, it says this, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, something's happened to us, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we have hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the Spirit of God, all who are born again of the Spirit of God, we groan too. So there's this whole spiritual activity of a reverse of what happened in the garden. And so the spiritual activity is all of earth is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. We inwardly who have the Spirit are groaning because we're sick and tired of this flesh. I hate this flesh. I want to overcome this flesh. I want to get rid of the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. I want to live unto Jesus Christ, but I stumble and I fall because of this stupid flesh. Is anybody frustrated with me? Is anybody groaning? travailing that's where we should be we want to live for jesus i could just editorialize again 
The church is in such bad shape. The Western church isn't travailing to be righteous and travailing to walk in honor of God. We're worried about paying light bills and having a big church and making it pretty. Come on. All right, I told you that's it. Okay, so I'll move on. But that's, it's not over yet. There's a third groaning that's going on here. And this is the key to help us all. Likewise, the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit what? Helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for what we want. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us, there's the likewise, with groanings too deep for words. Groaning is the likewise. So what is the groaning unto? He told us back with creation. Groaning is for what? Birth of us into our full redemption. We groan too for that birth of manifesting to the image of Christ. Who else is groaning in childbirth? Likewise, the Spirit in us is groaning. He's groaning. That means He's travailing. All right, you don't groan if you're content. Is the Holy Spirit content with your walk right now? He's groaning. He's pushing. He's wrestling. He's interceding. And he goes on to say this. He searches hearts, and he knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You see, we don't know. We're too weak And we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts, that's God, knows what the mind of the Spirit, that's God, in us, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what's going on here is the Spirit knows our condition and is interceding and groaning for us to birth the will of God in every choice we make. So when you're being tempted because something looks so good, the Spirit is groaning for your choice and your decision to step away from it. When the pride of life says, I think I'll say this so that I can get a few accolades, the Spirit is birthing the image of Christ in your next decision. He's groaning that you would choose life in Christ instead of death to self, with self, I should say. There is an active ministry of the Holy Spirit going on. It doesn't take two fast songs and a slow song to get it happening. He's there instantly. He's moving in us. Every choice you have. Taking a test. Should I look at the other person's answer? The Spirit's going, oh! Think of it. He's groaning, why? And it says in the next few verses, because we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is our temptation experience. Adam had a garden. Jesus had a desert. You are here right now in an experience of temptation, and the Holy Spirit is here for you, groaning and uh, choosing the will of God. Will you respond? Because now, because of the Spirit in you, you have power to say yes to the Holy Spirit and refuse to sin, despite the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's a matter of the will. 
where before you knew Jesus, you had no ability. This isn't, this isn't human conditioning. This is a response to a living spirit. Creation story is taking place every day in your heart. Will you pick from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Or will you, like Jesus, only do what your Father says? And the Spirit is travailing in that millisecond of a choice. And he's groaning for you to honor Christ so that you will look more like him because of the decision you just made. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I pray for us as a people, God, Each one of us today, Lord, your spirit was groaning and is still groaning in us. Oh, you're groaning that we would make the right choice. That we would put aside the thought that comes in and is not of you. That we would immediately dismiss it. Where our mind wanders or where our eyes wander or where our pride rises, the spirit says, no. Choose life. God, we've got a garden of promises to pick from. Why would we pick for the flesh? So I pray for each one of us. We need your help, Holy Spirit. Would you groan in us in a deeper way? Let's stand together tonight. I'm going to ask you tonight if there's an area of repentance you recognize that, God, I have failed in an area. You've just shown me an area I've failed in. Would you come and minister to me, Holy Spirit? Some of you need to speak repentance to the Lord for these issues. Some of you need to rejoice tonight and thank God for that continual groaning of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. He is shaping Jesus in you despite us. Hallelujah. Look at you. You look beautiful. You look like Jesus. You're awesome people. Because you're here tonight. You want to grow more and more like Jesus. Who wants to be more like Jesus? Who wants to look like Jesus? That's agreement with the Holy Spirit because that's what He's here to do. Let's worship Him. Let's sing this song. And let's worship God in agreement. And if you need to come to the altar tonight, come to the altar. But let's let God minister and would you just begin to agree? Talk to the Holy Spirit. Tell Him, yes, I will listen. That you would birth life in me. Hallelujah. Let's, uh, let's do worthy of it all. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh. Mm-hmm.